Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. Society can often seem to define what makes us worthy or successful, whether it be our job, our achievements, our social status, or our looks. What if some of those things were to be stripped away? Would we still know and be confident in our identity? In this episode, I interview Judy Galanti, an incredible mentor, big sister, and encourager in my life. Judy lives in London with her husband and two teenage daughters and is a pastor. Throughout the last 11 and a half years, she's been one of the most real and strong people I've known, and she has a passion to lift others up and see them walk in true freedom. In this episode, she candidly spoke about how her childhood often devoid of affection, set her on a road initially seeking external affirmation. She also shared the pain of experiencing her father's murder, as well as battling cancer twice. The focus of our discussion was on how her journey to discover her true identity, in her words, was more painful than some of these challenges. But yet, how she's come out the other side, having her faith as her anchor, and really knowing who she is. I know you're going to be inspired by this. Let's listen in. So for everyone listening in this interview, I probably will refer to Julie as Mrs. G a lot of the time. And we've known each other for 11 years. Um, and I guess yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective of when we first met. Well, I was working for Mercy Ministries. Your, your lovely voice came on the phone and you giggled throughout the entire conversation as you asked if um, I would like to join you on your very first um, gathering for Magnify. And uh, you astonished me because here you were, this young woman, and you weren't letting anybody define for you what you were going to do or the messages you were going to send out. You have, honestly, you have courage, Ruth. I laugh at you about the cat and the dolphin, but uh, you have courage and you don't fear man. And you invited uh, um, students, I think 200 girls or so turned up. I was one of the speakers there and God did amazing things and that was the beginning um, of our friendship. So I'm going to start with my first question um, for people to get to know you and I guess your vibe. If you could have dinner with four people from present or past who would they be and why? Um, Yes I I hope I don't um, you know my vibe is not too intense for people (laughs) (laughs) but I, I read two books last year that absolutely gripped my soul And um, the one was um, um, the autobiography of Martin Luther King. And when I read his autobiography, I just thought, I I, I don't know anybody more like Jesus than this man Um, in terms of the um, courage and the love that he showed in the face of hatred. Astonishing. Um, And then I read um, a a very big book again, The Gulag Archipelago by um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, that absolutely harried me. Again, this was about courage, divine courage. Um, And I thought, well, while we're on this whole trail of things, it would be wrong to leave Gandhi out. And especially since um, he was an influence on Martin Luther Luther King. Uh, And then um, my favourite movie of all time is Elizabeth, (laughs) Elizabeth I. And I think what all of these have in common is... um, Courage, 
uh, to do what is right, no matter what the cost. And um, so I know it's super intense and I'm sorry, it's not that fun, but, uh, you know, truly, because uh, this has just been deeply, deeply inspiring to me. If I would want to be like anybody, I would want to have the courage to stand up for truth, no matter what the cost, like these people. Finally, how do you like to switch off and relax? Um, I love a a great movie. Um, I love a great book. Um, uh, a beautifully written novel. It doesn't have to be the intense books that I've mentioned at all. In fact, they're not so much, they're they're more like traumatizing. So I'd love to start off and to hear more about your childhood growing up in South Africa um, and what that was like. And I guess some of the experiences that I think maybe shaped you, both positive and negative. Sure. Well, I grew up, uh, yes, in South Africa in a Greek family. Um, I grew up in a home that was void of affection and affirmation. Uh, My story is very common in that my father was largely absent from our lives. Um, They were married, but he was just never, um, ever home. And um, I think when we look at our parents' journey, it makes so much sense of, you know, who they were. And they grow and they change as well. But in the early formative years, my mother growing up, she was beaten black and blue growing up in her childhood. And she was afraid to show affection, express, uh, you know, uh, emotion around us. So that was missing. Um, My father, as I said, was absent. Um, He was also a perfectionist. Um, And so he would sometimes tell my mom to change her outfits. And I remember distinctly when I was a teenager, we were having some people over for dinner. And he said to me, um, I came downstairs and he said to me, uh, I wasn't wearing makeup. He said, Judy, go upstairs and make yourself pretty. And what he was saying to me is, uh, you know, you need makeup too. And so it was all visual on the outside. Uh, The Greek society, a very male-dominated society, I remember uh, again saying to my father, and these things all changed in later years, but uh, this is the upbringing. Uh, You know, Dad, how does this work, you know, with business or something? He would say, you're a girl, you don't need to know that. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I I felt like an invisible child, Um, I wished I was anybody but me. And I grew up then into a very, very angry teenager. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was part of my upbringing. Um, and I guess following on from that, because I've spoken to lots of friends who particularly females, um, when they have uh, sometimes a strained relationship with their dad that can impact how they see themselves, how they view um, relationships with the opposite sex. In that regard, ha- with your identity and also with relationships, how did that impact you? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, we definitely obtain our value from um, our dads and and that male affirmation um, is is really important in our lives. Um, And um, having a father who was a perfectionist who was not there very often, uh, my sense of identity was, um, you know, I didn't have a a really great sense of identity at all. I was very, very insecure. I was very competitive. Uh, I would strive. I would compete. I looked supremely confident as I grew up on the outside. Uh, You know, teenager, young adult, always looked confident. But on the inside, um, gosh, I was uh, like a, 
a, a vacant shell. Uh, my, my identity was found in the right friends, in the wardrobe, in the, you know, the perfect waistline, in the promotions and the opportunities and all of this. And I, I really, I, I was missing out on real life. I, I couldn't enjoy real life because I was always struggling for my affirmation. I deeply feared that if people saw who I truly was, uh, you know, that they would um, turn away from me, that they would even scoff at me, you know. And as a result, I wore masks. So it's, it was about masks. It, it was all about presentation. My presentation was perfect. I was very popular, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I experienced success. I was ambitious. But, um, uh, you know, it was not real. And I was living, I think, for the affirmation um, and the approval of other people. So I had to go on a really big journey to uh, discover who Julie really was. Who did God create Julie to be? Yeah. Um, So speaking of that, you obviously then went into an industry um, such as TV, um, where a lot of how people see you is based on the outside and your success and what you do. Um, At that time, what what would you have said your identity was placed in? Yeah. Well, definitely, just as I said before, it was all on the outer appearance. Um, I think uh, I know for a fact that um, I wanted to get into television to do the whole presenting thing because I was uh, I desperately needed the approval, the affirmation. I needed a place where people would look at me and go, yay, yay. So I needed, I needed that applause, and that's really what I was looking for. Wow. Um, so in that, I think that particularly in today's world, whether it's with our career or with social media and just the distractions, it's easy to kind of mask those issues um, and deal with the insecurities that we have. What was your journey of, I guess, unpacking and discovering your true identity? Well, the full force of the problem um, showed itself when I started experiencing success mm. um, uh, because I realised that I had to be in control. Um, I loved being the boss. Um, I needed the limelight. Um, I wouldn't let go of anything that was given to me because my identity was so wrapped up in it, no matter how much it cost me or even cost others. Um, And the thing about it as well, at that point, I'd become a Christian and I truly loved God, but there were fault lines that were running through me and they robbed me and I refused to let go of control. I felt God's asking me to surrender to heed, but I wanted to be in control and I try to bargain with God. I try to negotiate with him. And the thing about it is eventually, this is just the facts, the lousy stuff. If you don't deal with it, it does rise to the surface and it can ruin things. And for me, uh, for a season, it did ruin things. Um, The change started happening with a crisis in my life. And um, it was a crisis in my very early 30s where I was stripped of everything at the same time that had propped up my identity. So um, I had two small babies back to back and I I didn't land up going back to work and I was a senior person in the workplace. So that went. And then with the two small babies, et cetera, I lost my position, if you like, or my place, my leader in, in church. And then... Um, people who I thought were my friends, positional friends, started really elbowing me hard um, in life. And um, 
uh, it was an extremely painful season in my life because um, everything, as I say, that my identity was wrapped up in. There was a, a, a lady, a really, um, if you like, prophetic lady at the time. She's quite well known. And she called me and she said, Julie, I've been reading the Bible today. She says, this is a scripture I have for you. And she said, and she didn't know what had been going on in my life. She said, God gives, God takes away. You have been stripped of much. And um, that really was a thing. And I don't say this very lightly when I say this, and I, I certainly don't say it for shock factors. Uh, you know my story, and I've told my story before, but years ago, my father, many years ago, my father was murdered, right? But this to me was more painful than my father's murder because I just didn't know who I was. And, um, uh, you know, my life felt so pear-shaped, I didn't know if there was actually a way back for me. In fact, even for a moment, I questioned whether I wanted to live. And uh, the pain of people just being mean to me because I seemed to fall from my little throne, <laughs> which I needed to do. But, uh, and people were, like, seemed to be stamping me underfoot like good. I hope she knows the place. It was just really a, a very painful time for me. I was sitting in my bed one night and I said to God, why am I being tested like this? Um, and it was a real cry to God. I, I don't understand. I mean, I understand there was stuff in me, but this is really hardcore. Why am I being tested like this? And I went to sleep. And in the morning when I woke up, as soon as I woke up, again, my heart was just flooded with pain. And I sat up in my bed and I pulled my Bible on my lap and I opened it. And, you know, like I, I'm not a person who just opens and reads, but I did open it and read. And my question to God the night before is, why am I being tested like this? And this is what I read immediately. The um, title of the chapter is called No Hidden Agendas. It's in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 to 5 in the message. And it says, God tested us thoroughly to make sure we were qualified to be trusted with this message. Be assured that when we speak to you, we're not after crowd approval, only God approval. And I had to ask myself, whose approval do I need? Since we've been put through that battery of tests, you're guaranteed that both we and the message are free of error, mixed motives, or hidden agendas. We never use words to butter you up. No one knows us better than you. And God knows um, we never used words as a smokescreen to take advantage of you. Even though we had some standing, so some position, right, as Christ's apostles, we never threw our weight around or tried to come, come across as important with you or anyone else. We weren't aloof with you. We took you just as you were. We were never patronizing, never condescending, but we cared for you the way a mother cares for her children. We loved you dearly, not contentious to pass on the message, but we wanted to give you our hearts, and we did. And Ruth, I, I chose to read all of that because that's exactly what God did in my life. I was all of those things. I was after the crowd approvals. I had hidden agendas. I tried to come across as important. Um, it was, I was all of these things because of my lack of self-worth. And this time, this building foundation time, me not choosing to cooperate with God, but resisting, resisting, resulted in this. But I honestly would not be able to do what I'm doing today if it wasn't for that foundation time in my life. And, you know, exactly what that scripture said. He's given me a people in church. A lot of people would say, I'm like a mother in the church. I have that mother's heart. There's some of that I want to unpack. So you were talking about um, hidden agendas and I guess our motivations and how we can check that our security isn't in things. And I guess my question is around 
say if you've got a good job and you're passionate about what you do, that's not necessarily wrong to want to be good at that job and therefore you would advance. So what kind of indicators showed you that it was more that rather than just seeing something as a passion, that it was where your identity was rooted? Well, I needed it. I couldn't let go of it. It was, you know, it, it was crucial to me and I was controlling with it. It brought out the controlling. I think when you have that striving in your life, you have a lack of peace. Those will be the indicators. And it's so easy to get your identity out of what you gain, your education, your whatever, your achievements, whatever, or maybe even what you've lost, you know, like it could be loss of relationships or health or money or or, or innocence. And we can form identities out of these things. But, you know, both pride and regret are deceptions and um, they keep you blinded to your value. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the validation of people. Um, and I guess maybe when I look at um, mentors or parents growing up in an age where they didn't have social media, obviously validation and desiring that from people was still around when you were growing up, but maybe not as acute, like when you see your daughters and maybe how they and their friends relate to social media. How can we learn to resist the desire to seek affirmation from people, given that it's kind of at our fingertips in a very apparent way, because clearly that's damaging if we live life in that manner? Yeah, sure. We need to all go on our journey. And, you know, and if it is as a Christian person, you know, it is turning toward God before other things. But there's papers written on it that things like Instagram, of course, uh, cause the highest uh, form of anxiety out of all social media. And for my daughters, only when they entered sixth form were they allowed to have an Instagram account. And even then, I, you know, I was not pleased and they've had many lectures about it. And because I see adults who cannot even control themselves around these things. It's highly addictive. And of course, you know, I'm not going to say anything nobody's heard a thousand times over, you know, the comparison game and all of this kind of thing. And I think what has got your attention the most? Where are your eyes the most? If you are looking at Instagram and all of that more than if you're a Christian reading your Bible, well, you're looking at what you're missing out on. But if, you know, if you're reading your Bible every single day, it, you know, then you, you're looking at what you have in Christ. So what has your attention and where do you go to? Do you pick up your phone before your Bible in the morning? And, you know, you have to ask yourself those internal questions. I think that the striving and the lack of peace is a real indicator that uh, somebody needs to be looking at that. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a bit about faith and freedom. And I think from your experience where you were doing what you wanted in life, I often talk to friends and faith to them just seems very restrictive and also that it's making you to be a certain type of person um, and it dictates your schedule and different things. But for you, how, as someone who was so kind of free and living life on your own terms, have you found faith to be restrictive and what has been your experience? You know, Ruth, I, I, I land here and then I'll just unpack it. But I, this, is, this is the truth. If people really knew what it meant to be a Christian in the real sense, not in religion, not in because it's not about bump, uh, following rules or anything, but if people really truly knew what it meant to have a relationship with the living God, everybody would be a Christian. Mm. You, you just couldn't turn away from that. Just imagine for people listening who feel skeptic, just imagine for a moment that it's true, that there was a God or there is a God who created the earth 
everything in it and everyone in it. He put the stars in the sky. He put the moon in the sky. He created everything that you see wonderful and good around you. It became corrupted, yes, but everything. This is the power of God. And he wants a personal relationship with you and he wants to father you and love you and is going to treat you in a unique way according to the way he made you. you, you can't walk away from that. Yeah, I think people perceive it as a bunch of rules. Um, and I think um, also when you know that uh, and you come into a relationship with God and he claims you for himself and you realize, you experience that you are accepted, that you are loved, you know, that he doesn't treat you the way a man would treat you, you know, and he never will. When you are faithless, he is faithful. And where people would scoff and turn away from you, he just never does that to you. This is transforming stuff. This is freedom. This is the real freedom. And, yeah, so I think when you learn how uh, desired you are and how loved you are, it's a complete uh, game changer. And I also think it then changes the game of how you act in life because no longer will you compromise in life. Uh, you know, when Gio and I, so the guy in the keyboard in the corner that I thought was cute, by the way, is now my husband. Okay, so that aside. <laughs> but, um, you know, when Gio and I were... Um, dating, courting, if you like. I had to go back to South Africa and he was here. But um, I remember him writing to me and saying to me, he said to me, I want you to be my wife. He said, but if you do not want me 100% physically and 100% spiritually, I'm going to ask you to walk away because it won't be a blessing to me. And I'll always thank God for you and always love you. And I was like, excuse me? You should be begging me to marry I'd never heard this before in my life, but here was a man who knew who he was and who was not going to settle for less. I pray for my children and I pray for people more than anything that they would have real revelation of who uh, Jesus is, you know, and who he is in their lives. It changes everything. Um, so at the beginning, you spoke about um, wanting to have dinner with Martin Luther King. Um, <laughs> And one of the things I've always admired about you, and I think it takes real coverage, is you just have such a purity of heart. And um, I guess for some people, when you said that a lot of relationships were based on because you were also in that same position, but how have you had the courage to have a purity of heart even when um, things have been done to you? You've kind of never let that affect your hope or your expectation in others. Mm. And how's that been a journey? Yeah, uh, absolutely, and it remains a journey to this day. Uh, but I think we've become better at it. Look, um, if we're waiting for life to be fair and for people to treat us right, you're, you're going to die waiting. This world is not fair. And, you know, even within a church, you're going to get hurt because there's people like you and me in it. And I don't think people wake up thinking, I want to hurt you. Um, but, you know, we do. We, we injure one another. And the Bible says that above all else, so there's nothing above this. We should guard our heart because out of it flow the issues of life. In other words, out of your heart, you're going to actually live your life. And um, when those things come against us that are unjust, you know, when that offense comes, and I read this once in the thesaurus years ago, I just love it. It's, you know, it says um, uh, offense can be described as hostile to the senses. When it is hostile to you, when you could cry for three weeks, it's so deeply grievous to you. Um, and, you know, 
Are you going to allow that to remain in your heart? Are you going to allow that unforgiveness to remain in your heart? And if you do, it is going to corrupt your life because it'll form roots of bitterness into your uh, into your life. And this is going to be your life and your experience. And so when somebody deeply hurts you, you have to take responsibility for your own heart. It's like the snake biting you. We've heard this before. The poison is inside your body. If you run after the snake, you're just going to quicken the poison in your body. You've got to get that poison out of your body. And that happens through forgiveness. We, you know, Jesus said that we must always forgive. And he lived a life like this. You know, he was, um, he lived a sinless, perfect life. And he went to a cross to die for us. You know, when people were mocking and cheering and treating him. I mean, he's, he's exemplified what it means. He said, Father, you know, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And um, sometimes people know what they're doing and they're hurtful. But uh, this is a really, really, really key part of life. And it'll take you out. Forgiveness is key. And it doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean saying what they did is okay. And it doesn't mean that things may ever be completely right with you. But it is you letting go of um, any need for uh, revenge or seeing them, whatever, but le- absolutely letting them go and having, you know, the right boundary between you uh, for you to live in freedom and love towards them. Amazing. Very, very important. Um, so you spoke about sometimes life isn't fair. Um, when you've encountered challenges just in life in different seasons, how has your faith, um, I guess, yeah, helped you through those challenges and how have you released into God even feelings that how did this happen or why did this happen? How have you kind of navigated those? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, uh, Again, you know, Jesus did tell us that we were going to experience trouble in this world and he said, take heart, I've overcome this world. And sometimes, you know, we or actually when big things happen, there is a crisis of faith. Just for a moment, there's like, oh, you know, and then you choose your response. As Christians, it's a, a faith journey. It's not a senseless journey. And also, will we trust the God? God says that it is his to, he will vindicate and it is his to judge and for us to let go of that. Um, I have this wonderful um, scripture. You know, I, um, I, I have learned and I've known and I've grown in what God says about me and nobody can take that away from me. But it's, it's, been, it's taken years, but uh, I've, I've lost a lot of fear of man, of anything you like, you know. I've lost a lot of fear and I am not looking to man to promote me or to do anything. There's a wonderful scripture in Psalm 75, verse 67, the Passion Translation, and it says this. It says, this I know, the favour that brings promotion and power doesn't come anywhere on earth for no one exalts a person but God, the true judge of all. He alone determines where favor rests. He anoints one for greatness and brings another one down. And I think, um, do I trust God with my life? We all have hidden seasons. God makes everything beautiful in its time. And there'll be a time that God will show you off if you like to the world. I don't mean a platform. I I don't mean, I just, whatever, you know, and um, it is, uh, if we need those big seasons all the time, something's really going on in our inner selves. But it is about trusting the Lord uh, in all your seasons. And that comes, you know, trust comes as we build a relationship with him. Wow. So following on from that, what were some of the things during 
Um, so I'll ask the question again. So for a lot of us, um, we might have been given a vision or a dream, um, but often along the way, we feel like we're in the middle and that season of waiting can feel frustrating. Um, if we're facing this, how can we keep our peace and remain grateful? And what has been your experience of that? Yeah. Well, just like I said, it is, um, what are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the circumstances or are we going to believe God? Was it a word for God? I mean, look, God has a good plan for your life. It's a good plan for your life. And will you trust in that when it's not going so good? Um, so it's not based on your senses, what you can see, but it's based on a good God. And um, I think also um, life is, you, we've heard this, but, you know, I've lived it. If we, if we live in life for the destination, we're going to be, it's a, a joyless journey. It's just absolutely joyless. Uh, we, the, the journey, what is happening today, I have my children. I'm never going to have my children this age around me like I do today. And I think um, gratitude is an absolute key uh, to um, keeping our peace, to remaining grateful, to having joy. Uh, gratitude and being present in the, in the season this is the life. This is, I know we've heard this, but it's true. It's not a dress rehearsal. It's actually your life. It's actually your life. And every season has meaningful things that we can learn, where we can grow, where we can love others, where we can love God. So um, I think cultivating gratitude is a way to live life to the full. Uh, you know, without gratitude, it's an empty life. But to, to, to be thankful for the beautiful blessings you have around you. Amazing. Um, so I want to next move on to new beginnings. I've obviously known you before and after um, a particular season and health challenge in your life, but you seem to have emerged from that so much. You just have such vision. You're so joyful and more full of faith and passionate than I've ever known you. Um, what has that journey been like? So my younger sister died of cancer at age 33. And then five years later, I got the same um, cancer my body not once but twice I just never believed I was my sister um, I, I, I'm my own person and I wasn't going to lie down and make friends with this um, and so that meant I was going to in faith do things that I knew that was good for myself but uh, we went on the journey once and then uh, again the second time it came back and and listen these are really big journeys and we won't make light of them and we don't really know the outcomes of them but I can honestly say this um, well, let me, let me take a step back. The second time I had cancer, I had to have a really big operation and lie down for quite a period of time. I was like three months off work. And um, I was really wanting God to heal me, you know, just I, I, I wanted God to heal me. Uh, but I, um, I was doing this Bible study and it was saying the meaning of the word healing. And that meaning could mean uh, to mend by stitching. And just as, uh, you know, a seamstress has to hold a piece of material in their hands and handle it uh, to sew, so sometimes God wants to heal us this way and he wants to handle us in our hands where we learn how to depend on Christ and learn Christ's sufficiency that Jesus is enough for me in every situation. And this is the journey that he took me on. And I, I'll say this, I look back at that journey now and I go, was that about cancer? Or is that about God arresting me? Because what God did in my life, he would have never been able to do unless he had my full attention. And I am 100% 
more strengthened, sharpened, less fearful. I, I just do not feel like I used to fear um, from, from that journey. And um, so I, I can honestly look back and say cancer was a servant. And, you know, the Bible says that God will work all things to the good for those who love them. All things means everything, even the worst thing that you're facing. And he's not the author of the worst things, but he is well able to work them to your strength and to your betterment. And uh, yeah, so my journey is the worst times, the absolute worst times in life where I'm in the ashes, I'm not even sure if I'm going to make it out, has been so defining in God and had to become the best times because God has had to come through for me. I've had to see God in ways that I've never had to see him before. I, had, I saw more of God. And that revelation, that is power. You can't take that away from somebody. So how did you come to faith? Um, and I guess what was the catalyst for seeking change? Because even speaking to friends, both Christian and not Christian in this time of coronavirus, that now that a lot has been stripped away from us, a lot of people, their attention is turning towards what does life mean and what's the kind of big purpose. But what was the catalyst for you in terms of coming to faith and how did you come to faith? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, my mother became a Christian when I was a young person. I grew up with, uh, I, I understood there was a God. I had a sense there is a God. I had no idea that he was a personal God. I had no idea of what it meant. And in my teenage years, I felt God wooing me. I, I felt I. Yeah, I felt him drawing me to himself, but I completely resisted him because I thought uh, this was not relevant for my life. I thought perhaps I was a teenager. This is uncool. Uh, I didn't want to give up my, my life, my freedoms. I, I was going to rule my own life, make my own decisions. I just thought it was uncool and maybe not that relevant for me. And then, um, again, I, I just, my, my mother prayed for me for years, for years and years. And um, I, I landed up hurting myself a lot. I landed up in a, a relationship that was really hurtful. I was playing with drugs. I knew that I was not living the recipe for success. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking, and it's not that I slept around heaps or anything, but I was thinking, well, how many people would I sleep with before I decided to get married? You know, or, you know, why do I need to take this drug to have a good time now? Or, you know, um, so all of these things. And of course, that insecurity and that striving and um, all of those kinds of things. And I just landed up getting into a place. I'm unfortunately the type of person before change, not anymore. (laughs) I've learned some lessons. You know, before change happened, it's like I literally had to land up, you know, if you like, you know, figuratively speaking, in hospital with every limb in traction. Now you have my attention. And I felt that beaten up in life, that hurting in life. And um, because I'd resisted God for so many years, because I did, I, I felt his wound and I resisted him for so many years. I was really expecting God um, to be kind of arms folded and going, okay, yeah, you took your time, but here you are. Um, but what I did was I started looking for a church. I was in London and um, I just kept desperately looking for churches and I walked into empty churches and I just was crying. I'm going, God, I don't see you. Where are you, God? Where are you? Mm-hmm. And um, I landed up finding a little church, which was two blocks down from home. I didn't know it existed. Um, it was um, in uh, on Haverstock Hill, and it just in the Chalk Farm, Bell Science Park area. Um, and the little school hall there. Um, and I, I walked into that church little church and I walked in I noticed a man in the corner playing the keyboard and he got my attention he was quite nice looking but I was 
broken and I was um, hurting. And um, I knew I was going to I was going to surrender my life to God. And when that moment came in the service, I just completely surrendered. And the thing that changed me forever is that I had an absolute crystal clear visual picture of Jesus on both knees, arms sprawled wide open with his head back laughing, going, come on, girl, jump, come on, girl, come into my arms. There was no, you took your time. The, I got what I did not deserve. And that is God. We get what we don't deserve. And that, um, him receiving me in that way, changed me forever. Something in me changed forever in that moment. Where was that perception? I think I'm always interested. You said that you felt that when you came to God, he'd say, why did you take your time? Um, And I guess almost like a kind of headmaster approach. Where did you have that perception of God? Well, I think we just uh, treat God like people we know, you know, and I grew up in a male dominant. I would have been like that. Human nature would be like, excuse me. Well, I think I told you, didn't I? You know, we tend to, human, human nature can be like that. What we learn about God is that God is not like man at all. God is love. And so his actions are loving and kind. He's also just God and he's a firm, firm father, but he only, you know, only acts within that for our betterment. Um, and so, yes, so to, you know, put the authority figures or put figures of authority in our lives that have been this way, we can think then that God is this way. But God is not like any man, even the best father on this earth. And you've got a great father. I know that you do. But, you know, our heavenly father is perfect. And uh, way there's no comparison between an earthly and the perfectly heaven, heavenly father. Wow. Thank you so much, Mrs. G. It's such a privilege as always. Um, And I'm really, really excited for this to be released. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.